Welcome to Trade for Peace, brought to you by the WTO's Trade for Peace program. I am Axel Addy, former chief negotiator of Liberia's accession to the WTO and founding member of the Trade for Peace program. Trade for Peace is a 30-minute podcast in conversation with Trade for Peace champions, the global policymakers, entrepreneurs, and innovators committed to promoting trade as a key ingredient for lasting peace. Join us in our bi-monthly podcast as we discuss how trade is contributing to sustainable peace in fragile and conflict-affected countries. Welcome to Trade for Peace. In today's episode of Trade for Peace, Voices of Liberia, we are honored to have with us Ms. Hester Baker and Mr. Mahmoud Johnson. Hesta is a national tourism consultant with the International Trade Center and has over 30 years of experience in communications, including publishing, advertising, and branding. As a national tourism consultant, she works to promote the Liberian tourism sector through marketing and branding. She is also the CEO of Unchained Africa, a cutting-edge full-service branding and communications company. Mahmoud is a Liberian entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of J Palm Liberia. J Palm Liberia launched in 2013, creates all Palm-based consumer goods and clean energy solutions for consumers through a no-waste manufacturing process. Previously, Mahmoud worked as Senior Economic Analyst at Aurora Solutions, a strategy consulting company in Liberia. Hesta, Mahmoud, welcome to Trade for Peace. Thank you for Thank having me. Thank you, Axel, for having me. Hester, Mahmoud, thank you both for joining us today on Trade for Peace. Now, let us start with our usual question, and I would like to start with you, Hester. What does Trade for Peace mean to you? To me, Trade for Peace, Axel, begins when a nation builds access to global markets and encourages and creates incentives for its its citizens to become the drivers of trade and commerce. This evolves into a strong economy, ultimately creating a healthy environment where everyone is an investor and has something to gain, lose, and or protect, thereby seeking mutually benefiting solutions instead of conflict, even during the most volatile situations. Thank you, Hester. And over to you, Mahmoud. What does trade for peace mean to you? For me, I think about our experiencing Liberia with the civil war and how there are lots of arguments as to why economics played a huge role in driving the conflict. We also saw how because of relative inequality, certain people feel left out and that made them more vulnerable to be conscripted to use soldiers and as fighters during the war. And so the implication there is that in order for us to have sustained peace and, and economic stability in Liberia, we need to ensure that we have a strong economy. And having a strong economy, of course, is being part of the global trading system that allows Liberian entrepreneurs and allows Liberian families to participate and use trade as a basis for moving up the economic ladder, which reduces our vulnerability to conflict. Thank you, Mahmoud. Thank you, Hester, for your insights. Now, Hester, as someone with a wealth of experience working to strengthen tourism in Liberia, I'd like to start by asking you to paint us a picture of the industry. How has tourism in Liberia evolved in recent years? What do you think 
are the key challenges and opportunities in the sector? The evolution of tourism in Liberia, as I have seen it over the last 15 years, began with the domestic market, Liberians and expats. We saw an awakening of domestic tourism when there was a large contingent of United Nations mission in Liberia, UNMIL. Their personnel you know, would marvel at Liberia's raw beauty and found a lot of pleasure in the natural attractions. They were stationed across the country, so they began exploring and creating excitement, even with the local communities, about what Liberia really had to offer. This trend was then followed by a large expat community at that time. And then we began to see local Liberians also enjoying Liberia and all of its tourism resources. During this period, the industry, which you know, had largely been run by foreign nationals, began to expand with Liberians building and running competitive tourism-related businesses. Places like Wilkie Farms in Kearsburg, you had Patawi Waterfalls that is now run by a Liberian. You have Elizabeth Village and Resort, which is, you know, my own business and operation. And you had Nana's Lodge in Robertsport, which really was probably one of the early startups in the industry. Then we began to see more hospitality-related businesses, the restaurants, galleries, shops, and so on. Creative Liberians then began exploring ways of making Liberian products for sale which to date is growing with key players such as Mahmoud with J-Pong. We also saw the formation of the Liberia National Tourism Association, LINTA, and the Tourism Association of Liberia, both designed to support the industry. So the evolution, that to me has been how the industry has evolved, you know, over the last 15 years. For many, I, I believe that the greatest achievements of the Liberia tourism sector you know, have been the formation of the Liberia Tourism Policy and the Tourism Act. One governs the other. The policy is the overarching document that will manage and drive Liberia's tourism into the future. The Tourism Act is critical and to date has passed in both the lower and the upper houses. With the Tourism Act turned into law, tourism, which now forms a part of the Ministry of Information, Cultural Affairs and Tourism, will become an autonomous agency functioning as a partnership between government and the private sector. Once that really happens, I believe that we will then begin to see more opportunities open for tourism. Recently, I had the opportunity of going across country and doing the Compendium of Tourism Resources. And during that time, it was an eye-opener for me because I began to see more of the opportunities that Liberia you know, has. We have the most beautiful mountains, we have beaches, we have rivers, we have lakes, we have the rainforest, we have so much to offer. And these present wonderful opportunities for ecologists, we talk about restaurants, we talk about, you know, just engaging with the local people, capacity building, transportation, because one of the greatest challenges we have in Liberia is access to these, you know, incredible destinations. So you talk about water, you know, water transport, you talk about air transport. So many opportunities exist in Liberia. And so I believe that in the coming months and in the coming years, as we begin to market these opportunities more to Liberians and to the international community, we will see more action and we will also begin to see Liberia, the economy will rise, you know, the Liberian people, you know, more jobs will be created. And so many benefits that would be for, you know, win-win situations all across the board. 
Thank you, Hester. And now over to you, Mahmoud. Speaking of jobs, you are an employer as the CEO, the founder and CEO of J-Palm. For the purpose of our listeners, tell us about the origin story of J-Palm. What did you set out to achieve by founding the company in 2013? And how has your mission changed over the years? The origin of, of J-Palm and, and the motivation really was to help to create jobs and to help to create better economic opportunities for smallholder farmers using oil palm. And it's something that for those who are not familiar with Liberia, they be curious about because usually people around the world, especially in Europe and in the U.S., once people mention palm oil, the automatic association is environmental degradation. People think about palm oil as uh, destroying the rainforest and palm oil as uh, destroying animal habitats and land grabbing, things like that. But the story that often doesn't get told is the fact that oil palm actually originates from West Africa. And it's indigenous to this region where palm trees grow naturally in the wild. It's a wild plant originally. And it still does today in many communities all across West Africa, which in my view, it's not just my view, it's the fact that our variety of oil palm really is the most organic because it grows wild. I mean, it grows wild. There's no fertilizers used to cultivate them. And in fact, no forest was, was clear to plant because nobody plants these things. It, it just grows naturally in the wild. But unfortunately, many of the smallholder farmers who bake palm oil this way don't have access to markets and don't have access to the right tools to process the palm oil. And so they end up having to use their bare hands to squeeze out the palm oil, which is very inefficient. And it, it, as a result, even though the farmers spent 10, 12, 15 hours working a day, they really still cannot make ends meet. Um, and so JPOM was started as a basis to address this issue. It's uh, how do we work with smallholder farmers at the farm level to increase their productivity by providing access to machines so that instead of spending 8, 10 hours, they can now spend 30 minutes doing the same amount of work and almost doubling the, the palm oil use. And so, yeah, you know, it really started off as a desire to help to drive some sort of local economic change in rural communities by just providing access to a critical technology. But beyond that, there's also creating access to markets as well because of serious infrastructure challenges in the rural areas. The farmers find it difficult to travel long distances to take their produce to market. In fact, in most communities, there's only a single market day for the entire week. And so by creating opportunities to buy the palm oil directly from farmers at the point of production, that creates more liquidity in the local palm oil market. And then also the palm kernels, the oil seeds. So we started all the palm kernels were going to waste, right? And now we've created a market for the farmers to actually treat the palm kernels. They can now sell the palm kernels to, to us and earn additional income. All of these are, in, in my view, are ways in which we've structured our supply chain intentionally to help to provide more income directly to the hands of smallholder farmers. And based on our numbers, we see that effect as uh, on average about 80% increase in income for smallholder farmers from working with us. We now collect the palm kernels and we process them into palm kernel oil that we use to create uh, products such as lotions and, and, and moisturizers and, and shampoos and conditioners, basically a full range of skin and hair care products that ultimately go towards funding our expansion into more communities so that as we create more demand for these products, means that we have to use more palm kernels, which now enables us to expand to more communities to work with even more smallholder farmers. And so in my view, JPOM really is a, it's an experiment in economic self-sufficiency and sustainability at the local level that librarians in urban areas can go into a shop 
and buy current and fresh products. And a fraction of that money goes towards sustaining livelihoods of smallholder farmers right in Liberia and in rural areas. Thank you, Mahmoud. Quite inspiring. Are you currently exporting? We are exporting some of the byproducts and palm kernel oil, but we're also working on organic certification right now so that we can begin to export the oils to Europe and the U.S. Wonderful. Now, I would like us to talk a little bit about the post-COVID-19 recovery. And over to you, Hester. With the outbreak of the COVID-19, many economies have been devastated. And the tourism sector is one main sector that has been hit the hardest, leading to loss of business opportunities and activities and jobs in the sector. Hester, how do you envision a post-COVID-19 recovery for the tourism sector in Liberia? Axel, to provide a realistic answer, you know, one would have to assess Liberia's pre-COVID-19 status. Liberia, as I stated earlier, is endowed, no doubt, with what has been recently branded as amazing discoveries. We have the natural attractions, as I said, you know, we have the mountains, we have waterfalls, we have the rivers, we have the lakes, you know, we have 360 miles of a pristine, unbroken coastline. We have stunning and competitive beaches. We have the largest remaining portion of the Upper Guinea Rainforest. You know, we have the most unique and uh, merging of African and African-American history. You know, we have our cultures. We have so much to offer. We have our foods, you know, the rich fusion of the African roots and the free Black movement. We have our dance, our music. So when we talk about Liberia in terms of having tourism resources, we really do have quite a bit to offer. However, despite all of these amazing tourism resources, there are challenges that Liberia must first overcome in order to develop and grow tourism. Things such as our reputational issues. We have a lack of capacity at various levels. We need a well-trained workforce. We have environmental challenges. Things such as visa on arrival, which really encourages more visitors into your destination. We have financial constraints. We lack proper infrastructure and systems. You know, we have challenges with accessibility to some of the most, you know, important resources. So there are many critical challenges that we must overcome in order to be able to see the benefits of all of the wonderful resources that we have in Liberia. So work has begun, you know, as part of the, one of the things that I really, really believe that needs to happen right now in order to strengthen post-COVID, I would say, tourism building, because we are still at the in an infancy stage. So I believe when we talk about post-COVID, we need to talk in terms of really now building tourism, you know, after the COVID situation lessens in the world. So I believe one of the most important things that we must do is form collaborations. You know, you must have collaborative efforts between the government, the private sector, and our development partners. Tourism cannot be developed by itself. You know, we need power, as we saw this morning. We need water supply. We need road networks and, you know, many other critical infrastructure. So we do need government inter intervention. Our diplomatic corps, you know, they have access to new markets that we can tap into. Our current investors that are in country, you know, we can also tap into them because many of them also can give us access into their markets so that we are able to market and develop tourism and partner with them as well. We have to sit together, we have to discuss the needs and we have to find a way forward. Work has begun you know, in Liberia. 
as part of the Liberia Tourism Development Project, which is being implemented by the International Trade Center and the United Nations World Tourism Organization with funding by the EIF, the Enhanced Integrated Framework. Branding and marketing activities began in, in late 2020. So to date, these activities, they have been carried out, however, with the Minister of Information, Cultural Affairs and Tourism, as well as the Minister of Commerce and Industry, which you're very familiar with, Axel. And to date, they have produced the country's first official tourism brand with a beautiful logo slogan. The slogan is Amazing Discoveries. Through the process, they have been able to produce a brand guide and a comprehensive marketing strategy. We've been able to produce a compendium of Liberia tourism resources, an amazing image and video library of the tourism resources across Liberia, a beautiful national tourism brochure. There was a digital capacity building workshop with industry professionals who formed the foundation needed for post-COVID-19 marketing and public relations. The brand is beautiful and it was carefully developed, you know, in collaboration with both the private and the public sector. The branding and marketing activities, they have the potential to effectively rebrand Liberia's image, raise the country's profile, and attract tourists into Liberia. In addition, a need for capacity building has also been tagged as one of the major challenges that is faced by the industry. Therefore, the ITC, in collaboration with MECAT and the Ministry of Commerce, are undertaking capacity building activities now based on the findings of market studies. And with ITC and the collaboration again, there are plans for a pretty robust advertising and marketing campaign that is supposed to begin sometime soon. So looking at post-COVID, there are lots of things going on. And, you know, our hope and prayers will be that we stick to the, to the plan and we will be able to implement all of these. Thank you, Hester. And over to you, Mahmoud. How has the uh, pandemic affected your business in Liberia? What recommendations do you have post-COVID? COVID-19 has really depressed global supply chains, especially for us in the manufacturing sector, where we have to import many of the ingredients and, and many of the packaging materials that we use in our products. Before, you know, you could place an order for something and have it out maybe in about one or two weeks max. Now it's taking up to 60, 90 days for certain material to be available before we even ship. And so that creates a huge problem on inventory management. We have to make sure that we have accurate forecasts always for, you know, and make sure that you're ordering way, way in advance, which is also a pressure on cash flow because now, you know, like we have to have so much money sitting in inventory. And so that's, that's been one of the biggest challenges. I'm not sure what the recommendation would be for that because it's such a massive international crisis that's happening to everyone at the same time. But one thing that could definitely help is if we have some sort of financing locally into working capital or in, into inventory, especially for companies that already have, have an established presence and have an established brand where it's not so much of a risk. But again, that's one of the challenges of operating in, a, in an environment like that is the fact that we don't have those kinds of you know, products in the financial system. And so we, we as the entrepreneurs have to Constantly be on the lookout, constantly innovate new ways to address this problem, to manage our, our supply chain inventory, and also to manage our costs as, as well. I'm sure over the years you've learned some tricks of the trade of how to, to survive. You know, so if you had to give a five key advice to other entrepreneurs operating in similar environments, what would they be based on the uh, lessons you've learned? Absolutely. I think over the last eight years, 
I've learned a lot of important lessons in, in how to operate in, in fragile contexts. Liberia being one of the most fragile post-conflict countries, even though we are rising above that. One of the biggest challenges that has been mentioned before by Hesta is, is infrastructure. The fact that most of the infrastructure was destroyed during the war. After the war, we had no electricity, roads were almost non-existent, access to water and all of these things, which are critical for doing business in general, but more so for the kind of business that I do, which is a mixture of agriculture and, and manufacturing. And so over the years, we've had to adopt an approach wherein we've had to provide some of these services ourselves for the ones that we are able to provide. You know, so for example, with electricity, we've had to get our own generator. With water, we've had to dig our own well. And all of these things are, you know, with barriers to entry, especially for young entrepreneurs who don't have a lot of resources. And so as much as we can, you know, try to share our experiences with folks that we know in the, in the public sector and sometimes they listen and, and try to help with some of these challenges. But in most cases, we just have to be prepared to build our own little infrastructure around our businesses because most times public infrastructure just is not reliable. I mean, just something that's important as power. You know, sometimes if you have very expensive machines that you're running the factory and that gets connected to the national power grid, you know, the fact that there's just constant outages creates a serious risk for, for your machines. And so even though uh, you could have a partial fix with, you know, getting folks to the, to the power grid, but it just makes more sense economically for the business to run your own generator because that one is more stable and you have more control over it. The next challenge is, is the team. I mean, long-term for any, any enterprise or any organization, the long-term viability relies on the strength of the, of the team. And one of the biggest challenges we've had in Liberia is the fact that a lot of the skilled labor left the country during the war. And in this post-war period, labor now has become very expensive because you have a very small pool of like really talented people. Most of those people we who are just starting businesses cannot afford. And most of those people end up working for the NGOs, working for the UN, working for the, the government. And the professionals that are available, most of them, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, sometimes don't really know what it is that they're doing. And so you as an entrepreneur almost have to train, you invest a lot of resources in training people. So the way I look at it is, to hire someone for their personality, the passion that they have, and their, their willingness to align with the, the mission of the company. And then, where possible, invest in providing training for those people, whether it's hiring someone from outside of coming and, and provide training or to do the training ourselves in areas that we, we are able to do that kind of training. Third is financing. There's almost no financing available for new ideas and new ventures in, in Liberia, and I'm sure it is in most fragile contexts, a lot of the banks, because there's so much instability, many banks want to be able to get their money back as soon as possible. And that makes it hard to really think long-term and, and to fund innovative ideas that don't have a strong proof of concept. And the approach that I took when I started my business was to finance it myself as much as I could on a very small scale to demonstrate that proof of concept that we can now take to apply for competitions and apply for grants, you know, here and there. Because even though there's a challenge in the private markets for financing businesses, whether it's equity or, or debt, there's also a lot of support to entrepreneurs in fragile countries in the form of grants, in the form of competitions. But in order to access those opportunities, you almost have to think very long-term, maybe two, three years in advance, and, and start to now put a story together for the company, like, you know, 
what kind of impact am I creating? How is this business being structured? Because if, for brands, it's not just about, you know, you putting more money in your, in your pocket or putting more money into the company's account. It's about demonstrating how you can now leverage that money to help the community. And so for us, when we were tracking our business data, we're not just looking at the financials and operations. We're also looking at the impact that we're creating in the communities that two years later, we can now go and say, look, you know, we've done X, Y, Z, and we've been able to create X, Y, Z impact with the people that we work with, you know? So imagine if with the little resources I had, I could create this impact. Imagine if you invested in me, what more can we do? And so the impact story for the brand, we also started to build that very early on in the beginning because we understood that was going to be critical in helping us raise money in the future. So, you know, the advice I have on financing really is, you know, is to focus on developing what, what now is, is being called the minimum viable product, you know, developing that proof of concept about how the business works from an operational standpoint, from a financial standpoint, and also from an impact standpoint, you know, as a basis to tell a strong story eventually when you start to, to fundraise with experienced investors. The, the fourth feedback is, is innovation. Unfortunately, again, one of the challenges was the, the fact that it's a fragile context means that you almost don't have data, accurate data on anything. You can't go to a website and download data on like how many soaps have been bought in Liberia in the last five years, for example. You know, and because of that, it makes it very hard to do market research. You know, so sometimes you may need to again do it yourself on a small scale to validate the concept and to continue to invest in that to, to strengthen the business model. But also as a basis for continuous expansion and innovation, it means that you have to have proper information flows, you know, so whether it's recording interactions with customers, whether it's looking at the social media feed, looking at what people are saying, all of those things we have to continuously immerse ourselves in it to continuously have the kind of evidence base that we need for the decisions that we're making in our business. And the fifth thing is this network, you know, you have to network because unfortunately, it's just, it's not a deal, but like, unfortunately, sometimes you need to know the right people in order to get over certain unnecessary hurdles, you know? I mean, you work in the government, you know, and you understand that some of the things that people are calling you for, they shouldn't really be calling you for, but because you don't have the right systems in place, you always have to go and point to someone in the system that can help you get things done quickly. And so the message of entrepreneurs is really, you know, to try to build bridges, try to build the right relationships. Uh, with the right people and just keep people in the loop because there are people who work in the system who want you know things to get better and who are working for the right reason and so getting to know those people helps a lot when it comes to dealing with some difficult uh, situations that really shouldn't be there in the first place. Thank you, Mahmoud. Uh, you continue to be an inspiration for a lot of young people around the world operating a business as an employer and an innovator in the private sector in Liberia. Hester, from your perspective, what opportunities can economic integration through WTO membership offer to Liberia tourism sector? Simply, Axel, economic integration facilitates the movement of goods and people, which matters a lot to Liberia's tourism because you have a greater flow of tourism for the country. So as Liberia capitalizes more on the accession to the WTO, trade increases and so does the influx of people who naturally require tourism resources such as hotels, restaurants, attractions, shopping, airlines, and all of the other you know, resources that you know, are attached to tourism. So our economy will you know, naturally be strengthened overall. Also, you have a lot of young people that you know, back in those boring years in Liberia, you, know, you found that most times 
you know, you had the young people that were the ones at, on the front lines. So when our economy is strengthened, you do provide job opportunities it's because tourism is about a youth. In most cases, you know, the youth, you know, your young people will be your hotel managers. They will be your wait staff. You know, they will have the security jobs. And so most of your, you know, your flight attendants and all that. So most of the opportunities that you can create with job creation and training will go to the young population. So as we begin to benefit more from our accession, you know, to the WTO, we will begin to see that we are building sustainable peace for Liberia. It has a lasting impact and it's, it's been one of the greatest you know, opportunities for Liberia. And like you said, rightfully, you were really at the forefront of that. So we really do thank you for that because it's really something that the tourism industry can truly, truly, and is already benefiting from. Thank you, Hester. And now over to you, Mahmoud. You know, one of the difficulties is trying to articulate why WTO membership, this, this commitment to reforms that promote uh, transparency and predictability and in sort of trade uh, governance and integration is important. Making that case for the private sector was very, very challenging. And most people say, well, what's in it for me? So, Mahmoud, as the CEO of JPOM, how has you know, Liberia's accession to the WTO, in your view, benefited the private sector? I think it's an ongoing process. One thing that I'm excited about is the fact that trade officials in Liberia now have access to this body of so much expertise in terms of how to reform the trade infrastructure, whether it's the port, whether it's the customs administration, you know, the tax code process of clearing items as they arrive in the port. I think that leading in, into WTO, one of the biggest challenges that we've, we've had in Liberia is the fact that things have not been predictable. Things have not been stable. You know, even the people in the port, for example, sometimes don't know what the proper rules are for certain processes. And it just makes it unnecessarily more expensive and extremely challenging to have to deal with that bureaucracy. And so one of my hopes and one thing I'm excited about with Liberia being part of the, the WTO is Number one, the fact that not only is there sort of a legal instrument that mandates people to, to behave in a certain way, but there's also the fact that our officials cannot tap into the expertise of the WTO member countries to say, how do we genuinely improve these things? How do we genuinely make it better for people to trade in, in Liberia and to grow their businesses? And what I think is going to happen is that as, as it becomes easier for us to transact, for us to trade internationally, to do business, I think more businesses are going to start to, to become bigger and to prosper, to tap into international export markets. And that is going to help to create the kind of employment here that should lead to the kind of economic transformation we want to see, you know, because it's not just about, you know, having big foreign investors kind of set up uh, the, the factories here. It's also about how do we have local library and entrepreneurs who are now getting to tap into the inter international export markets to add value to local produce so that we can have the kind of economic uh, change and, and create the kinds of jobs in Liberia that really will make a difference for the lives of people in, in your generation, people in my generation, but most of people in the generation of the, the young kids that are now coming up to have you know, more parents that actually have jobs, you know, and uh, can send the kids to school, can take care of their, their families and, and just lead normal, wholesome lives as opposed to this, you know, struggling to survive the mentality that we've been in for the last 20, 30 years. 
Thank you, Mahmoud, and thank you, Hester, for this conversation. It has been an honor. Now, I would like us to conclude our conversation with final question. In one word, what does trade for peace mean to you and why? So, Hester, I would like you to start, please. For me, trade for peace, the one word would be possibilities. And the reason I say that is because when you are able to trade globally and, you know, see the benefits of more people coming into Liberia, when we are able to see our products leaving and going into other countries, you create endless possibilities for along the entire value chain for Liberia. And so trade for peace, to me, it means possibilities. And I mean, endless, endless possibilities. So we, I hope as Liberians and Liberia, as well as um, those that are doing business in Liberia, you know, from whatever part of the world, you know, they may come. I really believe that as we begin to really trade more and get this economic integration that is so necessary for Liberia's growth and development, that we will create endless possibilities, especially for the young people. And over to you, Mahmoud. The one word, word that comes to mind is hope. And it, it, this is very personal for me because I, I mean, I grew up in Liberia when, when the war had just started. I saw the amount of devastation that the war created. And so now, you know, all of us, I think, have this urge, have this desire to, to see a transformed Liberia because we don't want to go back to that ugly past. We've seen it um, and, we, and we, we all still remain scarred by it. Given the position that occupied in the private sector, I've seen firsthand just the potential for business and for trade to transform Liberia in a very positive way by creating jobs, by creating better economic opportunities and by reducing inequalities. And Liberia's accession to the WTO is one more step in that direction of really having a rules-based system that allows us to, to grow the economy through business and entrepreneurship and through trade. And so uh, it does give me hope, you know, it does give me hope that the WTO is, you know, is going to help to move us in that direction because once we get it right with the economy, I think a lot of our other issues will begin to fall in line. That was Mahmoud Johnson, founder and CEO of J Palm Liberia, and Hester Baker, the National Tourism Consultant of the International Trade Center. Hester, Mahmoud, thank you for joining us today on Trade for Peace. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to today's episode, Trade for Peace, Voices of Liberia. I am your host, Axel Addy. You have been listening to Trade for Peace, brought to you by the WTO's Trade for Peace program. Subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. For more episodes, visit us at www.tradeforpeace.podbean.com. Be sure to tune in every other week for new episodes. Thanks for listening to Trade for Peace. Thank you.